An enduring memory of growing up in New England is the beautiful, crisp winter days during the Christmas season. New England in the wintertime is full of delight with frequent snowfall. Uh, for me, robust fires in our fireplace, sledding hills readily accessible at our home. And at the Christmas season, the whole landscape comes alive, especially in the evening when the moon is reflecting off the snow and the white lights of the trees are glistening. It's, it's absolutely stunning. I may have shared this with you before, but one of my, one of my roles and responsibilities in our house that I shared with my sister Suzanne, who is here from Chicago to celebrate with us. Um, we, we took care of our dog. We had a black lab. Her name was Loin, and we would, the strangest name ever, I know, um, but we would take care of our dog in the evening, in fact, to, to take her out to use the facilities. Well, in December, this all became actually a magical trip because our house, adjacent to our house, was this quaint old Baptist nursing home. And every winter, they would put these life-size illuminated plastic uh, figures of a manger scene on display. And so, you know, you picture this, this, these big plastic illuminated figures of Mary and Joseph and the baby Jesus in the manger and and the shepherds, and there were an associated uh, uh, group of farm animals, and the carols were playing in the background. And here's, here's what struck me, even as a kid. Even though those plastic figures were obviously not real, when we would wander over there with our dog in the evenings, not to go to the bathroom there, by the way, we would do that somewhere else, but we would take her for exercise, and we would wander over there at the manger scene, and, and seeing these figures, even though they were plastic and clearly not real, there was something stirred in my soul. Because with their arrangement, it really did make you wonder, what must that have looked like for real? Mary and Joseph were not adults, they were teenagers. Likely very fearful. A lot of unknowns going on in their life. The, those animals lowing and, and grazing about the, the manger there, just a rough-hewn piece of wood, the mattress for our Savior being just some straw that was laying around. And what gripped me is the holy came to dwell with the ordinary. In that little manger, there was the plastic Jesus with a halo, and it reminded me that the holy came to dwell with the ordinary. And as I think about that scene in my mind's eye, and I, I think about this, you might have thought, if the holy came to dwell with us, you might have thought there would be a, a palace, or at least a bed of silk. But no, there was nothing like that. It was a rough feeding trough. There were not servants attending to his every need. No, there were shepherds, the field-worn, weather-beaten herders of sheep. Nobody noble here. There were not noble statesmen or cultural influencers at the birth of Christ. There were just a few teenagers, Mary and Joseph, a few others scattered about. 
in one sense, in one sense, this scene is completely ordinary. Ordinary people. And yet in another and very real sense, this was completely extraordinary. God made man. God, the author of life, took on humble humanity and entered into our story. And that's precisely what the writer of the Gospel of John wants us to get. And so you can turn in your Bible. It will also be projected on the screen. But I want to read to you from John's Gospel, the very first chapter. This is amazing. This word here is astounding. In the beginning was the Word, and the Word was with God, and the Word was God. He was in the beginning with God. All things were made through Him, and without Him was not anything made that was made. In Him was life, and the life was the light of men. The light shines in the darkness, and the darkness has not overcome it. There was a man sent from God whose name was John. He came as a witness to bear witness about the light that all might believe through him. He was not the light but came to bear witness about the light. The true light which gives light to everyone was coming into the world. He was in the world and the world was made through him, yet the world did not know him. He came to his own and his own people did not receive him. But to all who did receive him, who believed in his name, he gave the right to become children of God, who were born not of blood, nor of the will of the flesh, nor of the will of man, but of God. And the word became flesh and dwelt among us, and we have seen his glory Glory as of the only Son from the Father, full of grace and truth. May the Lord bless the preaching of his eternal word and write its truth on our hearts this evening. Two wonders of the incarnation. I want to say there are about 200 plus wonders of the incarnation, but we're just going to look at two this evening. One of the many marvels of the incarnation is that God for all eternity past dwelt in perfect unity, Father, Son, and Holy Spirit, the three in one. They dwelt in perfect communion with one another, perfect unity with one another, and yet there was a change afoot on Christmas Eve. Verse 14 tells us that the Word became flesh and dwelt among us. This was the eternal Word, Jesus Christ. Look again at verse 1. In the beginning was the Word, and the Word was with God, and the Word was God. He was in the beginning with God. Now, having no beginning and no end, the eternal God has always been. In fact, at the time of the beginning, however we would measure the beginning of all things, when the beginning of all things happened, the Word was present. 
Before any act of creation occurred, the Word was there. He is the uncreated one, the Alpha and the Omega, the beginning and the end. There was never a time when He was not. This is the eternal Word. So this eternal Word that exists outside of our ability to comprehend and understand time and context, this eternal Word took on flesh and he dwelt among us. He took on humanity and he became like us, eternal God, now cooing in a manger. Eternal God, still fully God, even though he needed to be fed and burped and changed, as incomprehensible as that sounds. This, dear friends, is the mystery of the incarnation. The eternal Christ had become flesh and blood. He did not cease, by the way, to be fully God in that moment when he was a baby. Baby, excuse me, as one commentator put it, he who made man was now learning what it felt like to be a man. He who made man was now learning what it, was, what it felt like to be a man. Bob Coughlin, a, a friend of ours in Sovereign Grace, said, He entered our world through a virgin whose very body was fashioned by the baby she was about to deliver. It's a source of unending wonder that the God who brought the universe into being clothed himself in our skin. People might ask, like, okay, you guys, what is the big deal about Christmas? What is the big deal about the incarnation of God coming to us? Well, there are so many implications. There are so many big deals about the incarnation. But let me simply highlight one. Jesus came so that we could know God. Jesus came so that we could know God. You see, God has revealed himself to us in his word. Think about it. If this word did not exist, how would we know what God was like? Prior to the coming of Christ in the Old Testament, how did the people of God know what God was like? Did God regularly show up for coffee on Friday afternoons? No, they didn't know what God was like in person they simply knew what God was like by the Word. And now the Word became flesh. The Word standing among them. The Word, Emmanuel, God with us, literally means He pitched His tent in our backyard that the living, eternal Word of God now among us and with us. When we looked at the Word, we saw God. When we looked at Jesus, we saw a reflection of the Father because He simply did what the Father said. So when we saw Jesus, we saw God Himself. The Word became flesh and dwelt among us. This life-breathing, life-giving Word of God, the light who shone in the darkness, has come. He pitched His tent in our backyard because He loves us. He wanted to identify with us. He wanted to understand what it was like to walk in our shoes. So when we look at Jesus, 
we see the expression of God the Father, the Word, now in the flesh. We see God the Father through what Jesus did. We see God the Father through what Jesus said. We see God the Father through the atonement that he realized on our behalf. Verse 14 says, And the Word became flesh and dwelt among us, and we have seen his glory, glory as of the only Son from the Father, full of grace and truth. Which brings me to the second amazing aspect of the incarnation. He came in glory to bring us grace and truth. We'll get to the glory part in just a moment, but let's first consider grace and truth. Jesus came to bring us grace and truth. In his gospel, John explains this image of truth by contrasting light with darkness. Just as in the act of creation, the word of God spoke and light came into being in the darkness, so now in this world, in darkness, the light has come. The light came to shine the truth into our darkness. And the truth that that light revealed is that we didn't want the light. That's what it revealed. When the light came, we didn't want the light to be there. That's what he says. He came to his own people and his own people rejected him. We didn't want the light because we walked in darkness. That's what we are. Apart from God, we are walking in darkness. See, Before Christmas, John Piper said this in that devotional we handed out at the beginning of Advent. Uh, he, He says it basically, I'm paraphrasing, before Christmas is a delight, it is first an indictment. Before it's a delight, it is an indictment on the whole human race because the incarnation makes a truth claim on us. Now I ask you, what is the truth claim that the incarnation makes upon us. The truth claim is this, that we could not save ourselves, that we needed to be rescued, that we needed to be saved from our sins. And that's where precisely grace comes in because grace is receiving something that we don't deserve. What we don't deserve, what I don't deserve is forgiveness from God. Because every day of my life I have sinned against God. What I don't deserve is forgiveness. What I deserve is judgment. But God in his great mercy and in his great love for us, he has poured out his grace upon us through the person of Jesus Christ. He has come to offer us full and free pardon from sin. This is the grace of God. This is the mercy of God. Listen to the author of Hebrews when he talks about who Christ came to help. For surely it is not angels that he, speaking of Jesus, helps, but he helps the offspring of Abraham. Therefore, he had to be made like his brothers in every respect so that he might become a merciful and faithful high priest in the service of God to make propitiation for the sins of the people. Grace came to our door in the mercy of Christ. Over the past few weeks, likely you've had a lot of visitors coming to your door, perhaps 
the Amazon delivery man, perhaps friends coming to call, perhaps you running out and meeting people at your front doorstep for parties and all kinds of things. The fact is, grace came to our door in the person of Jesus Christ. He was full of grace and truth. This is why he came. In Christ's incarnation, Joel Beek says, in Christ's incarnation, God teaches us that we cannot solve our problems on our own. Christ came to be like us so that his death would accomplish healing for us. Apart from a true incarnation, there is no true atonement. Grace came to our doorstep at the incarnation. Christ came out of love for you and for me. Christ came to be with us and to dwell with us. He came to be like us so that he could identify with us. And then he could be our substitute on that cross. That's what Christmas is all about. John Calvin The great reformer, in reflecting on Christ, he said this, So Christ, who is in heaven, has clothed himself in our flesh, so that by stretching out his brotherly hand to us, he may raise us to heaven with himself. Christ's brotherly hand, reaching out to you and to me through this babe on Christmas Eve. Christ, the incarnated, eternal Word of God, come to save, come to redeem, come to give us hope, come to restore faith once again in our Lord. That's why Christ came, to give us truth and to give us grace. There's a theologian that we like to read in our church body. His name is J.C. Ryle. You may have heard of him. He was a British theologian in the 1870s. His works have contributed to to a significant portion of my uh, theological collection, and they speak today. This was a man, he was a godly man. Well, the story of J.C. Ryle is interesting. He grew up in a wealthy home in England with a mansion and servants and extravagance. His father, a wealthy financier, owned, in fact, two banks, and life was good. But his father, though having grown up in a solidly Christian home, did not honor the Lord in all of his transactions. And one bad financial decision brought his whole empire down with a crash in 1841. And J.C. Ryle, again the son of this father, being a committed Christian, worked for his father for 20 years to help his father pay off the debt That wasn't his debt. He simply worked and gave all of his income to his father to help his father pay off his debts for 20 years. Now, when we hear that, at the end of 20 years, he had had nothing to show for it. He had given 20 years of his life just to help his father out of his predicament. And when we hear that, we say, wow, that's amazing. That is is mercy. Wow, that's, that's amazing grace. And it is. That, that, that's commendable mercy in action. That's commendable grace at work. But I want to say to you that in comparison to the grace 
that God has given to us, it pales in steep comparison. Because we could have worked our entire lifetime trying to atone for our sins, trying to somehow make up the deficiency in our souls before the Lord, and we could never get there an entire life working to trying to atone for our sins. And Christ, this eternal word who came at Bethlehem, has come now to give us grace and mercy that by receiving him, we might receive the grace of the Lord and have all of our sins forgiven and have a future that is certain. Our certain hope is set because Christ came in Bethlehem Christmas Eve. He came as a babe. Christ has come out of mercy and grace. And when we see Christ, we see the love of the Father. And so let me, let me just share with you one final note and then we'll close with this. The incarnation of the eternal word of God tells us something about God the Father, doesn't it? It tells us something about the eternal character of God the Father. It tells us of God's great love for humanity. It tells us of God's great desire to forgive people like you and like me. People who are guilty, who would stand before Him as guilty. But the incarnation of the eternal Word of God, Jesus Christ and this baby, this Bethlehem scene, it reveals to us the character of God that He loves us. That He loves people. The author of the Gospel of John says it this way. For God so loved the world. Hear this afresh, dear friends. This might be a familiar passage. For God so loved the world that He gave His only Son that whoever believes in Him, this is good news, that whoever, despite your past, despite your sins, despite any of those things, That whoever comes to Christ and believes in Him should not perish, but what have eternal life with God in heaven. This is what Christmas is all about. God loved you. God loved me. God loved people to send Christ into the world to redeem us. Because we could never save ourselves. This, dear friends, is the eternal hope of Christmas. Would you stand with me as we prepare to pray and then sing our final closing songs of celebration? Holy God, it's a mystery to us that you came and incarnated yourself and took on our humanity so that you could walk in our shoes and relate to us and know what it was like to be a man or a woman, a boy or a girl. The incarnation speaks loudly of your love for people who weren't looking for you. Speaks loudly of affection for rebels 
And now by faith, Lord, having brought us into your family, having adopted us as your own, we are under your fatherly care. And we love it, Lord. It's a place of joy. It's a, it's a place of hope. Regardless of what happens tomorrow, Lord, when we're in you, when we're in Christ, we, we know that you'll be with us. And even if our week goes poorly, if our year goes poorly, we know that what awaits us is an eternal home with you in glory, in joy, in your presence. And so for, for all of us who are, who are your sons and daughters, this is a night of rejoicing. This is a night of praise. This is a night of great thanks. Because we could never do what you have done for us. And Lord, for anyone in this room who yet still does not know the joy of their sins being forgiven, Lord, because you are a judge and you will come back to judge each one. Lord, we pray even now, God grant faith. God grant belief in Jesus Christ. If we miss this, we miss all of what Christmas is all about. And so, Lord, in this place, even now, as we pray, Lord, grant us to believe. Renew our faith. Make us strong once again by your forgiveness and through your power. We exalt you, our risen and glorious Savior.